Our reading for ourselves today comes from the Gospel according to Luke. Listen to God's word for our lives this morning. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or... What woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and carefully search until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that is lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God, over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Here at PHBC, the central theme for our worship and fellowship throughout this summer has been on the sacred, ordinary life. This means that we are trying to name and claim those seemingly insignificant and mundane parts of our lives that we tend to overlook. And in doing so, perhaps we will surprise ourselves by finding a glimpse of God, a little bit of holiness, already dwelling in those places and parts of our lives. And today I want to talk to you about a universal, what I think is a universal phenomenon. But first I need your help to demonstrate just how common this is. So I'm going to ask you to participate in a very informal poll. And here's how it'll go. I will ask you a question and if your answer is yes, you will respond with a yes by snapping your fingers. And if you can't snap, then you can pat your legs or just do something to signal your yes. So let's do a few practice questions. So snap your fingers or pat your legs, whatever. If you plan to travel out of Texas this summer. Snap your fingers if you lost electricity this week. All right, you got this. All right, so here's the real, real poll. Snap your fingers if you have ever misplaced your keys or your wallet. Snap your fingers if when you found your keys, they were in your own door. (laughs) Snap your fingers 
If you have ever had to call your own phone to find it. <laughs> and this is the last one, I promise. Snap your fingers. If you have ever lost your eyeglasses while they were still on your head. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much for playing along. I hope what this exercise does for us is reassure us that all of us, or most of us at least, have lost something important at one time or another in our lives. I, for one, am notorious about losing my keys. The good news is that I'm aware of this, and so I have a spare key hidden somewhere outside my house, I won't tell you. <laughs> And I also know where their spare key is to my office building in this building. And so what I haven't found a good solution for, and what you won't get out of this sermon, is how not to lose your keys in the first place. <laughs> what I think is telling about these moments when we lose our keys or our wallets is what we do in the midst of our searching. My theory is that there are three common reactions. The first is rational thinking. This probably happens within the first 30 seconds since you've discovered that you've lost this thing. This is when logic and reason are still your friends and so you know to retrace your steps. You check the pants that you were wearing earlier or you look under the stack of mail by the door. And you might also give yourself a pep talk. You know, it's okay to be a few minutes late to that meeting. But as your search goes a little bit longer, I think that rational thinking gives way to what I call is number two, negative self-talk. This is when you start to doubt your own vision, your own memory, your own sanity. You blow through your house like a tornado, turning over couch cushions and slamming doors like that's going to help somehow. <laughs> and perhaps there's a little bit of name-calling and self-deprecation. And as time goes on, you might find yourself bartering with God. You might say something like, God, if I can just find these keys, I promise I will call my mother back today. <laughs> And if at some point you still can't find your keys, desperation gives in, and then your thoughts will turn to what I call as response number three, which is good old-fashioned blame. You start blaming everyone else and everything else on why your keys are lost. Your kids, your spouse, your annoying neighbor, millennials. <laughs> You start questioning everything about your existence. Why did I sign up to be on the diaconate? Why do my kids have a thousand activities that I have to chauffeur them to? Why can't I turn on my car with my own fingerprints like my phone? <laughs> and who of us haven't asked the age-old question, why, God, why do bad things happen to good people. In short, when we lose these simple, 
yet important things we need to go on about our lives, we end up on the verge of losing our minds. But for as often as we lose something, surely we have moments where that thing that is lost is finally found. And for me, that moment feels like being unstuck from moving in slow motion. A flood of relief rushes over me and I am out the door and on my way to whatever it is that I was supposed to be doing. And it's likely that as my day goes on, that moment, that moment that was so full of worry and frustration and anguish, that moment is long gone, out of sight, out of mind. And the chances are that I probably will not have thought about that moment again until the next time I lose my keys. In our scripture lesson for today, Jesus tells us two, two parables of items being lost and then found. The first is a shepherd and his sheep. The second, a woman and her lost silver coin. What is interesting to me is how the focus of these stories is not on the moment the sheep and the coins are lost. It's almost mentioned as a matter of fact. So you lost a sheep, or you lost a coin. Things get lost. These things happen. What Jesus spends his time on in these parables is telling us what happens when what is lost is finally found again. The shepherd does not simply find the sheep and lead the sheep back to the flock and go on herding and grazing. The woman does not just find the coin and put it in her pocket and go to the market and run her errands. No, the shepherd places the sheep on his shoulders and rejoices. The shepherd and the woman tell all of their friends and their neighbors about their good news. And they invite everyone to rejoice and celebrate that this one thing that was lost has been found. So you may be wondering, well, are these parables telling us that we need to throw a raging party every time we find our lost keys? <laughs> not, not quite. See, Jesus tells these parables to remind us of God's grace. And I wonder how these daily disruptions that happen to all of us might be an invitation to see the persistence of God's grace in our lives. You see, Jesus isn't telling these parables just to his disciples. He is responding to the Pharisees and the scribes who are grumbling about the company that he keeps. They are offended by the questionable characters who sit at table with Jesus, the tax collectors and the sinners who draw near to him and listen to him. And so Jesus tells these parables to all of them to the Pharisees, to the tax collectors, the scribes, and the sinners, that God in all of heaven rejoices even if one sinner repents. Now, I want to take a moment 
and acknowledge that in our flavor of Christianity, we don't tend to throw around words like sinners and repentance very often. I know many of us have grown up in traditions and churches that do, and so we have felt and experienced the painful ways that these words have been used to guilt or shame us into committing to a life of faith. But I don't know about you. When I hear how Jesus tells these parables to describe God's relationships with sinners and repentance, I don't feel shame or guilt. What I feel is God's abundant and relentless love for me and for all of us. The way Jesus describes God in these parables reminds me of this story I heard recently, a story about a man named Anthony Ray Hinton. Back in 1985, Anthony was arrested and charged with two counts of capital murder in Alabama. In his own book titled, The Sun Does Shine, Anthony recounts the terrifying journey of being an innocent man on death row for 30 years. He writes this. It was like everything good was being taken away one small chunk at a time. Belief, family, truth, faith, Justice. I wondered who I would be when this was all over. How could I be the same person? Would there be anything left after this trial? And what if they actually found me guilty? What then? Nobody believed me. And some days it felt like the whole world, except for Lester and my mom, was conspiring against me. Lester, who we learn, is Anthony's childhood best friend. And for almost 30 years, Lester visited Anthony every single week in prison. After Lester got off from work on Friday, he would drive over 500 miles round trip and did not miss a week to visit his friend in prison his friend who otherwise might have lost all hope. I believe this is how Jesus wants us to see God. Like a shepherd relentlessly pursuing his sheep. Like a woman staying up all night searching for her lost coin. Like a father running ahead to welcome the prodigal son home. Jesus, through his own words and through his very life, teaches us how God's love is both free and freeing. I do want to be clear that this understanding of God's love is not a free pass for our bad behavior or bad decisions. God's love does not eliminate any consequences that we might face in this life. 
But like the sheep and the coin, sometimes we just get lost. In this life, we will inevitably lose things both big and small. Keys, wallets, glasses, relationships, homes, jobs, marriages, our health, pregnancies, our ability to take care of ourselves, to drive. And I believe that our responses in these small moments can be dress rehearsals for our responses to those significant and life-shattering moments that we cannot avoid. And so when we feel like the whole world is against us, what do we do? Do we try to rely on reason and logic to make sense of it all? Do we question and start bartering with God? Or do we blame everyone else and everything else for our circumstances? Or do we lean into the simple practice and the gift of confession? You may be tempted to put the word confession into the same category as sinner and repentance. However, confession is something that we already do every week. Sneaky Presbyterian thing we have in our liturgy. And let me remind you that confession does not only mean admitting our wrongdoing or our guilt. That the Greek word for confession is also translated as profession. It can mean that we declare openly, that we speak freely, that we praise and we celebrate what it is that we believe. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus uses this word in this way. And I tell you, everyone who confesses me before others, the Son of Man will also confess before the angels of God. I know my two-year-old son, Owen, practices this type of confession really well. I haven't been able to infuse him with the right amount of, game, of shame and guilt, but I have some time. <laughs> so, a couple months ago, he threw a toy and it broke our television. The entire screen shattered. So that same weekend, we were able to replace this television with a $25 TV we got at a church garage sale. It's about half the size of our old TV. And for days, every time Owen walked into the living room and saw this tiny TV, he joyfully exclaimed, I have a new TV. <laughs> that is his confession. <laughs> but friends, confession is not a prerequisite to God's grace. But I believe that confession certainly has the power to awaken us to the presence of God's grace in our lives day in and day out. 
Author Tish Warren describes the communal practice of confession in this way. She says, when we confess and receive absolution together, we are like a football team practicing its plays or a theater company rehearsing its lines. Together as church, we are practicing learning the strokes that teach us to live our lives. Another way to look at confession and repentance is that it is, it is an opportunity to tell the truth. And the good news is that we don't have to wait until Sundays to tell the truth about ourselves and our need for God. So when we are searching for our lost keys for what feels like the millionth time, whether it's just to go to the gym or to another round of chemo, we are invited into that very sacred and ordinary moment to take a deep breath and to tell this truth that as much as we want to find our keys, how much more does God want us to never lose sight of God's unceasing and unconditional love and consider how letting that love washing over us will renew us every day. As a community of believers, we are also invited to tell this truth with and for our friends and our neighbors in this world for whom hope is nearly lost. And we do this trusting in the spirit to intercede on their behalf. For even when just one of us turns to God and feels God's loving embrace in those small and big moments in our lives, Christ tells us that there is an unbelievable amount of joy and rejoicing before God and all the angels in heaven and on earth. To God be the glory. Alleluia. Amen. Family of faith, there are four parts to a worship service. Four. We gather together. We read the word. We respond to the word. And then we're sent out. And so there are many ways that we respond. We sing songs. We share in communion. We give our tithes and our offerings. But one of our most common ways is we affirm what we believe. So I would like to invite you to rise in body or spirit, to respond to the word with me by affirming what we believe. In life and in death, we belong to God. Through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit, we trust in the one triune God, the Holy One of Israel whom alone we worship and serve. We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. We trust in God, whom Jesus called Abba, Father. We trust in God, the Holy Spirit, everywhere the giver and renewer of life. With believers in every time and place, we rejoice. 
You may be seated. Friends, as we turn our attention to prayer this morning, I want to remind you that on the back of your bulletin you will find uh, prayers of joy and prayers of concern, and I commend those to you for your personal prayer in the coming week. Also, please remember to stop at the tables just outside the north transept door where you will find letters that have been prepared. They are care letters that come from the congregation, and you're invited to sign those letters as a form of prayer uh, for people who are experiencing some type of transition and who would be uh, of benefit to receive a word of encouragement from the congregation. Today, we especially pray for the family and friends of Del Rui, who passed away last weekend, for the Gunnan family in the passing of Jen's father, for the Fornana family and the passing of Paula's brother. As we remember joys in our midst, we certainly want to lift up with gratitude this past week all of the volunteers and the leaders who made Vacation Bible School and Jam Camp happen and uh, created meaningful experiences for our young people. Uh, it was a happening place in this campus, on this campus last week. So we celebrate that. And we give God thanks and praise for all that uh, that meant. And we also want to offer a word of praise for Jack Myers' return, our resident greeter who uh, has been with us this morning, who is back following uh, fall, and we are glad to see Jack. Friends, let us go to God in prayer. Good and gracious God, we thank you for the gift of this day and the promise that it brings. And for your grace, which is new every morning. You are God of hope and possibility. So, so today we pray that you might transform us into a people of hope and possibility who would share your love with a world in pain, a people who would proclaim your hope into a world given to despair, a people who would live as though the world can be changed into the kingdom that is to come a people that would relentlessly seek out one another in the same way that you, O oh Lord, seek us out and rejoice when we are found. O oh God, on this Father's Day, we offer our gratitude for the loving men who have brought us a closer view of your unconditional love. We give thanks to you for those who have shown us kindness, for those who have shown us courage, for those who have shown us generosity, for those who have shown us truth, for those who have shown us compassion, for those who have shown us faith, for those who have shown us love. We are grateful to you for the blessing of all sons and brothers and fathers who reveal and have revealed glimpses of your loving presence on earth. We remember today those who live with both treasured and troubled memories. We ask you to come alongside those who grieve and those who live with unmet expectations, with regret or with remorse. Oh God, you inspire your people in the ways of kindness that lift our world from its despair. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer for every son, brother, father, grandfather, uncle, 
friend who has suffered and endured. We pray today for all your people in need of healing, for every broken heart hidden from view, for every secret shame buried in darkness, for every untold story of sorrow and alienation. We pray for all in need, seeking your healing of the world's wars and woes and the battles within our own human spirits. We pray for your everlasting peace, that the world might know your hope, your grace, and your mercy. We pray for peace this Father's Day, for wisdom and equity in the hearts and in the minds of those who lead us, for justice with mercy that seeks equitable access to the earth's resources, for passion and power in our churches to influence the world for good, for a new day when justice will roll down like waters across this land, for the revelation of your great love that never leaves us nor forsakes us. Hear our prayer, O God, for this broken world, yet hope-filled world. We pray for peace this Father's Day and every day. In the name of Christ our Lord, who taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, there are not many universal truths in this world, but I think one of them might be that no one enjoys changing diapers, right? It comes to be that point, and parents play that game, it's your turn, no, it's your turn, I did it last. But we change a baby's diapers because we love our children. And whether you are rich or poor, you should be able to love your child all the same. But one in three parents in the United States do not have a sufficient fund of diapers to care for their child. So this month, every single dollar bill that ends up in the offering plate will be donated to Hope Supply Company, which helps provide basic resources for parents and their infants in need. So friends, let us give to a good and gracious God. 